Good morning, Redemption Church. My name is John, and I'm a member here. This morning's scripture reading is Galatians chapter 4, verse 1 through 11. Verse 1. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. This is God's word for us today. Please join me in prayer. God, help us to see you and know you more fully in light of this passage. Help us to see what you've done in your son, Jesus Christ, even to do something so great as to make yourself our father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as many of you know, our, our family is adopting a two-year-old little girl uh, from India. Her name is Swara. Uh, this past week, we did our third video call with Swara, and there's a huge time difference, if you can imagine, so we have to do these like really late at night. Uh, but this time, we woke the kids up, Louis and Audrey, and so they could meet their sister for the first time ever, if you can imagine. It was just incredible. It was such an incredible experience. Uh, if you can imagine, Suara's two years old, so she doesn't really talk either way. Uh, and then not to mention her caretakers who are there with her don't speak any English at all. So we discovered one of the best ways to interact with her is to show her things. So before each call, we always make a plan. What are we going to show her this time? Here's our house, or here's your bed, here's a doll that we have for you, here's a picture of our family, and so on. We've really been able to connect with her in this way. And if you can imagine, the goal is basically to show her what will soon be hers. It's basically, Suara, here are all the things you will gain when you become a part of our family. Not least of which these two kids, your siblings, and, and us, your mother and father. Now, it's hard to know what exactly the kids are picking up on in these Zoom calls, including, of course, Suara, but... We've been recording them uh, so that we can go back and watch them anytime later in life. And as a dad, I just think how powerful these video calls will become over time even as Suara grows up. Because for her, they will be one of the only glimpses she has into life before adoption. Today we're going to see that adoption is about much more than orphaned children gaining a home, a family, or 
a promising future in this world. Uh, Adoption really is a picture of God's plan to redeem all of creation. As Christians, we have been adopted in Christ, and we're going to see today, you won't even imagine all that we've gained as a result. Two weeks ago, Paul started untangling the Galatians' confusion about what it means to be part of God's family. If you remember, some Jewish Christian missionaries had come along, and they had some connections to Jerusalem, and they had persuaded them or bewitched them, basically, into thinking that the nation of Israel on earth is actually God's family, and therefore, as Gentiles, they need to be circumcised, and they need to obey the Old Testament law. In particular, Paul explained a few weeks ago, no, no, basically, it's, it's only God's Son who can keep us in God's family by the power of God's Spirit. Do you remember that message? In, in other words, this is not just like a physical family that depends on our body and our flesh. No, this is, this is a spiritual family that depends on faith in the crucified flesh of God's Son. And this is the perennial question I'm convinced Paul has in mind in this letter, whose flesh are we relying on to get into God's family? Is it our flesh or is it the flesh of Christ by faith? It's the ultimate question Paul has in mind for the Galatians. I'm convinced basically everything else he has to say is downstream of that question. Whose flesh are we relying on? Now, being halfway through this letter, I want to start today with what I want to prepare you for. It's a fairly extended preface to the sermon. Because what I want to do is I want to look back on some details we've come into counter with and also how they connect. And I want to do this so that we can be prepared to think about what this all means for us very well today. I think it's going to help us. You may have noticed already in this letter that Galatians is filled with all kinds of either-ors, sort of a binary. It's either this or this, that or that. For example, uh, we're supposed to be preaching God's gospel, not man's gospel. Uh, God's people are justified by faith in Christ, not by circumcision. Our spiritual lives are empowered by God's spirit, not our works. And for that reason, we will receive God's blessing, not God's curse. God is redeeming a family of all nations. It's called this church in Christ, not just one nation, the nation of Israel. And ultimately, this is all about glorifying God and not just pleasing men. And so here's the idea. The idea is that when we rely on our flesh, these are the ways we will approach God and his family. And as a result, we'll be excluded from both. But when we rely on Christ's crucified flesh by faith, this is how we will approach God and his family. And we will be included in this incredible spiritual family he's making in his son. This is basically the letter to Galatians in a nutshell, or at least sort of the the argument behind it. And remember, last week, Paul unveiled the real center of his argument, all of his logic, that this idea of God is creating this whole new multi-ethnic spiritual family. He's creating it in his son. So so we have to crucify our life in the flesh. We rely on him. We get baptized into him, and we live together as his body. We're, in a sense, his flesh on the earth, even now in a spiritual way. In this sense, these local churches the Galatians were a part of were the new spiritual family 
of God, along with all other local churches that are in Christ as well. Now, in our passage today, Paul is doing two things. On one hand, he is reflecting on all that we've gained by being sort of adopted into Christ in this way. He explains kind of what that means, and he celebrates it. Then at the end, he really presses the Galatians. If you look at verse 9, he basically gets to the end and says, in light of all this, all these great things we've gained, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of this world? Now, I'm convinced there is a connection between what Paul calls the weak, worthless elementary principles of this world and relying on our flesh. There's a connection between them. In fact, I would say they're even one in the same thing. To rely on our flesh in this world is to go back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of this world. To live as if this world and our bodily lives in this world are all that matter. Can you imagine that might have something to do with the great controversy over Roe v. Wade even this week? The idea here is that we needed God to send his son into our world so that we can be set free from this world because our bodily lives in this world were not enough. We never could have been part of God's family in and of ourselves, which is why we also can't just be circumcised and obey the law with our bodies to get into the family. So here's the point. Now that God has sent us his son in the flesh, now that we've been adopted by faith into his body as sons, in light of all that, Paul's saying, how can we turn back to relying on our flesh? This is the question that looms over our passage today. Basically, are you sure you want to go back to relying on your flesh? This is a question we're going to return to a number of times, but before we do, again, I think it's worth considering, just so we can do this well, what does it mean to rely on our flesh? What, what is that? It means, church, to depart from faith in Christ's death and resurrection, kind of leave that aside and to turn back instead to the things we do with our bodies in the physical world in order to be made right with God. As an example, I do just want to consider infant Baptism. Historically speaking, this is the main thing that separated Baptist churches from other traditions. If you're not, no, this is actually why. Galatians is a big part of why we do not sprinkle water on infants' bodies and call that baptism uh, because they do not believe, understand, or know the gospel of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. Therefore, in our view, if we just baptize them, then that changes the entire nature of what baptism is meant to be, and it also changes the entire nature of the church as a spiritual community gathered together by faith. We'd be separating the act of baptism from the spiritual reality of faith, and in that way, at least running a strong risk of encouraging people to rely on their flesh in a spiritual way. So this is just one explicitly religious example of what it means to rely on your flesh. It could mean thinking that we are Christians and we're okay with God because our parents sprinkled water on us and had us baptized as infants. Now, I want to be clear. 
Uh, not every tradition that baptizes infants actually teaches that that baptism saves them. So there are, there are differences in those traditions. We need to respect and understand that. And also, many people who are baptized as infants do go on to trust in Christ later in life. I would actually be one of those. Many of you are as well. And yet I do think, at least for illustration, this can also be a good example of relying on the flesh. And since it's an explicitly religious one, it's probably closest in line with what Paul's argument is here for circumcision and obedience to the law. But I want you to notice, according to Paul, the Galatians were enslaved to this world in this way, even before they became Christians, even before they were bewitched, before all that, they were enslaved in this way back when they worshiped false pagan gods. And so we talked about this a few weeks ago, but it's worth reminding us, in a sense, we do not have to try to rely on our flesh at all. Relying on the flesh is the default way of life for every person apart from faith in Christ. This is why in Ephesians 2, Paul defines all sin as simply carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. This is the essence of sin. It's to live as if our bodily lives are enough with or without God. We don't really need him, all that spiritual stuff. We can just get circumcised or do any other thing. So in this sense, if you want to know how to rely on your flesh, the truth is just live how you want to live. Don't worry about God or the death and resurrection of his son or how to be justified for your sin. Just leave all that stuff aside and in no time at all, you will be relying on your flesh. Relying on the flesh is not complicated, I want us to see. And it's not even difficult at all. It's inevitable. We're going to see here, we were enslaved to this way of life. And relying on Christ and his death and resurrection, it is the only way to be set free. It's to be adopted into his flesh. So with all that in mind... Here are three things we've gained by being adopted in Christ. First, number one, we have gained total freedom from slavery to this fallen world. Total freedom. I've done a lot of the heavy lifting for this point already in the preface, but Paul does use an illustration here, you see, uh, about a child who's basically like a slave until the day set by his father when he will actually inherit what he is the heir of. We should think of like a, a rich kid who kind of has everything, but it's not really his yet, it's his daddy's. And in the meantime, he doesn't really have any real authority over the family estate. In fact, he actually kind of has to listen to his nannies, if you can imagine, right? So here's the point. Before Jesus came, we were like that kid. We were under the guardian of the law, and back then, even though someday we were destined to be heirs, at the time, it was as if we were slaves. We were enslaved to sin. But, Paul explains in verse 4, when the fullness of time had come, when the day set by his father, he, God, sent forth his son, Born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. In other words, 
When we became sons of God by faith, not only did God include us in Christ's son status, he also set us free from our slave status. This is actually what the word redeemed means. It's the name of our church, Redemption Church. Redemption is just, it's a payment that someone makes in order to set someone free from servitude. It's significant that Paul uses the word adoption to describe all this because it further highlights the fact that none of us, none of us were naturally born members of this family in our flesh. None of us, not even Paul, who was, he's already told us, a Jew by birth. Not even he was born in. We're all slaves in this way. And so Paul's saying, guys, the father has finally sent his son to set us free from all of these things, to adopt us into a new kind of spiritual family. In other words, you don't have to live your life in the flesh according to the principles of this world anymore. You don't have to perform and do right things with your body to be made right with God God has finally sent us his son to do the ultimate right thing with his body. He was crucified. He was buried. He rose again to set us free from our slavery to our flesh and the principles of this world. We can crucify that whole self-reliant way of life. God has a new, better spiritual life for you, Paul's saying, in Christ as a member of his body, and here's the point, in light of all that, you really want to turn back to relying on your flesh? So here's the takeaway for us today. Relying on our flesh will never set us free from our sin, not even a single sin. Uh, we all know what it's like uh, to feel like we just can't stop doing things that we know are not good or right, uh, they do not honor God, uh, and, and even though they may feel even good or right temporarily, they don't enrich our lives in the end. We understand this almost as if we're slaves, right, to the passions of our bodies and our minds. It's exactly what Paul's talking about. We are slaves to our anger, to our worry, our ambition, our greed, our lust, and these things lead to all kinds of chaos in our lives. It, they ruin our relationships, our, our families, often our life circumstances, even our souls. And here's the point. Relying on our flesh, it may seem like a good thing, may seem right, but it will never set us free from any of that. It never will. It won't work. And when it comes to applying Galatians, I think it helps to apply it actually as a church. This is about a spiritual family, uh, and ult ultimately it's because the alternative to relying on our flesh is not just living differently as individuals. First, it's trusting in Christ by faith, and then living by faith as one member of his body, right? This is the point. This is the spiritual family. So with that in mind, here's a scenario uh, where at some point we'll all be tempted to rely on our flesh in one way or another. I'm convinced at some point. Let's say you've been coming to redemption for a few months. You've been really enjoying it. Maybe you've even come to faith in Christ here. Uh, then you get baptized. You join the church. And someday, another member of the church gets a sense that there might be some type of sin in your life. And they ask you about that. And they ask you to walk with that. They say, hey, I totally get it. I, I don't have all the answers, but I love you. Could, could we walk through this, talk about it, pray about it? 
Here's what I think it would look like to rely on our flesh in that instance, okay? To go back to the elementary principles of the world. First, you get super offended. You accuse them of mishandling that entire situation. And as Paul will say later in this letter, you devour that brother or sister. You belittle them. You gossip about them. Or worse, you just stop coming to the church. You eventually leave altogether. As if you are enslaved to your bodily life and anyone who questions it at all is this existential threat to it. Whatever they are, they're certainly not another member of Christ's body trying to help us to live in his grace, right? So this is what we do. We cut ourselves off from Jesus' body in order to live the way we want to live in our flesh. Okay, now by contrast, here's what I think it looks like to live as though we've been set free from these things. We've been set free from the principles of this world and the powers of the flesh. First, we take a deep breath. We remember that this brother or sister is a son of God by faith in Christ just like we are. He is in desperate need of grace just like us. We repent of any sort of self-protective instincts we might have, and we text back. This is hard for me to hear. It makes me really anxious, to be honest, even to talk about it. Please be patient with me. But, but yeah, let's meet. Because our life in the flesh is not just about our life in the flesh. In fact, we've crucified that life in the flesh, and now we are all one. We're all linked together like members of the same body, and when his elbow is hurting, that's us. His hand is there to reach and help. That's another member of the church. And the idea here is that all of us will be changed by the power of God's grace. We will work through our sin lovingly, patiently, by the power of the gospel. God will be honored through our life together, and his church will look more and more like his son. But here's the point. We will never live like that in our flesh unless we are all relying on his flesh. That is why the Father sent us his son, is to set us free from our slavery to this world so that we can rely on his flesh rather than devouring one another because we're all relying on ours. So whatever sin you feel enslaved to this morning, whatever it is, whether it's anger, pride, lust, worry, whatever it is, there is freedom for you. There is freedom but you will never find it in this world. And you will never find it in and of yourself. We can only gain this kind of freedom by relying on Christ and being adopted into him, okay? Here's the next thing we've gained by being adopted in Christ. Number two, we have gained all authority over everything in heaven and on earth. Okay, now hold on, you might be thinking, that must be this like religious hyperbole. This is kind of spiritual talk you have. What do you, just shoot straight with me. What, what do you really mean? Nope. I truly mean this exactly the way I've just said it. This is where a little bit of biblical theology helps us a lot. When we can see how the whole Bible fits together. I want us to go back to our series in Abraham. The one we did just before this one. If you remember in that series, God said to Abraham, Abraham, pick up your eyes. Look as far as you can in the east and the west. You remember this? And he says, I'm going to give all of that to your offspring as an inheritance. But the problem we learned is that he went and tried to make this whole promise happen. How? By the power of his 
flesh. He impregnated Hagar, and they had a, his servant, slave, by the way, and they had a slave son named Ishmael. And then later in the story, when God does give them a son, Isaac, by the power of his spirit, he says, you got to cast out this slave woman and her son. Why? It was because as a slave, Ishmael was not supposed to inherit what God had promised to the spirit-filled sons of Abraham. He, he was the wrong kind of son. He was a son by the flesh. <laughs> well, Jesus is the ultimate offspring of Abraham. Jesus is the entire reason God raised up this family to begin with. Therefore, he is the one who will inherit everything God has promised. And because we've been adopted into him, even though we once were slaves, just like Ishmael, there is no longer slave nor free. We are all one in Christ. We've been adopted in him. We are heirs with him as if we are him. And therefore, we inherit everything he deserves as if we deserve it too. This is incredible. This is where it gets really cool, actually. In these days, a firstborn son was the rightful heir of the family's possessions. He, he controlled the family estate. And because Jesus is the firstborn son of God the Father, Jesus is the rightful heir of everything that belongs to God the Father, which is <clears throat> everything. Everything. Paul told us this, if you remember from our series in Colossians. He told us that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. And here's why, Paul says, for in him, that is in his body, in his flesh, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Church, this is what we inherit when we come to faith in Christ. This is what we inherit when we're adopted into this crucified Godman. It's all things, whether on, in, on earth or in heaven. Not convinced? By the way, this is also why someday all those meek followers of Jesus will, quote, inherit the earth. This is why after, his, uh, after rising from the dead just before he's ascended to heaven, Jesus told his disciples that all authority in heaven and on earth had been given to him, almost as an inheritance, you might say. This is also why, as a result, he sent his disciples out, right, to make disciples where? Of all nations and to baptize them here into Christ in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That was so these new disciples who trust in him could be adopted into him together, joined together, their lives linked as members of these local churches, and then by virtue of being adopted into Christ, they, like us, will become inheritors of literally everything in heaven and on earth. And finally, this is also why in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul discourages that church in Corinth, the members of that church, from taking their disputes to public courts um, where uh, they were governed by unbelievers rather than working out their disputes within the church where Christ is the king and Christ is the head. But when he tells them not to do that, here's what he says to them. He says, do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life. Safe to say, Paul had a higher view of the local church than we did, right? We're gonna judge angels, is what he says. So to be adopted into Christ by faith means that we have become heirs of everything Christ deserves. 
which someday will include literally everything that's ever existed in the new heavens and the new earth, which we will have dominion over, just as God intended when he created all things to begin with. That is what we have inherited when we relied on Christ's flesh. And in light of all that, here's the point. In light of everything we've just said, do you really want to turn back to relying on your flesh? The takeaway here is this. We will never inherit all things by relying on our flesh. It's not going to happen. I want to ask you this morning, what is it that you want more than anything in life? Maybe it's the respect of a particular friend or person uh, or, or the love of a particular family member or a vocation that will be fulfilling for you or a certain amount of money, possessions, status, just comfort in life, whatever it is. Let's just say you want all those things, okay? And better yet, let's say you get them, all of them. It's great. For the sake of illustration, let's say you gain this whole world even. See where I'm going with this? This whole world with all of its weak and worthless elementary principles, but in the process you forfeit your soul. Let's say we find our lives in this world by the power of our flesh. We have all the respect we could imagine, all the love we could need, the perfect job, the most fulfilling life circumstances. We have it all. Someday, we all know this, but someday, here's what will happen. Most of the people who respect us will die. Many of the people who love us will die. Our health will decline until we can no longer work or enjoy what we accumulate until eventually we die as well. When we're struggling to crucify our life in the flesh, we have to remember this, right? It's because of our sin. We're we're going to die either way. It's either now in a spiritual way by faith or then by force when our life is justly taken from us. So we have two options. We can live by our flesh. We can kind of roll the dice, see how it goes for a few decades until we die, which we will. Or we can crucify our life in the flesh now, live by faith in Christ, and then inherit all of creation in the life to come. Church, for those of us who have been adopted into Christ in this way, Even as we lie on our deathbeds with minutes, hours to live, we do not have to comfort ourselves or comfort others by saying, hey, listen, I've had a good life. I've had a full life. This has been great. Trust me. This was wonderful. No. Even on our deathbeds, we might not make it to dinner that night even. And yet we can sing that we will feast in the house of Zion. We will sing With our hearts restored, he has done great things. We will sing together. We will feast and weep no more. Church, we don't have to to work or perform or measure up to get what we're after. We already have it. We have it. In the life to come, we will have far more than we could ever imagine happening in this life. And we gained it all when we stopped relying on our flesh 
and started relying on his. But it gets better. Finally, most importantly, by being adopted into Christ, number three, we've gained an intimate spiritual knowledge of God the Father. This is so clear in the text, but it's also bursting with meaning and power. Because we are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That word Abba is an intimate personal phrase for a, for a dad. It's kind of similar to our word dad or daddy. The point here is that the only way this God of heaven could become our father in that sense is if we're adopted into his son. That's the only way. It is only his spirit that cries out to God the Father in this way. So unless that's true of us, unless we become new spiritual creations in Christ, we will never cry out to God as if he is Abba, Father. No matter what we do with our flesh, no matter what, we could be the most religious people on earth on the outside by our flesh, but inside we will despise God the Father because we use our bodies to worship and serve the creation rather than the creator. That's Romans chapter one. We're enslaved. But as Christ himself says in John's gospel, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. As John also says in 1 John chapter two, no one who denies the Son has the Father. And whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So we've seen this already even in Galatians. Again, only the Son can keep us in the family by the power of the Spirit. Basically the same idea here. But Paul's point is crystal clear. Look with me at verse 9. He says, Formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. This is back when you were pagan Gentiles. You worshipped all kinds of things in this world, the trees and the sun and all these kinds of things, all the stuff we experience with our flesh. But, he says, now that you've come to know God, or rather, to be known by God, he is making himself known in these ways. He is the actor, and here's Paul's point. After all that, how can we turn back, right, to the weak and worthless principles of this world, whose slaves we want to be once more. He even says, you're celebrating all these Jewish festivals and signs and all these things. I, I, I wonder if I might have labored in vain. I, I wondered if you actually did come to faith in Christ. You're relying on these things. I want us to see the spirit God gave us is the spirit of his son. It's also known as the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, and you can see how Trinitarian all of this is for Paul. This involves the Father and the Son and the Spirit all at work, all in us. We received God's Spirit when we heard the good news of his Son and we relied on him. And that is the only hope we have of knowing and being known by God the Father. Without Christ's Spirit in us, God will only see us as slaves. Because apart from faith in Christ, that's exactly what we are. And so here's the point. <laughs> in light of all that, Paul's saying, do you really want to turn back to relying on your flesh? This is our final takeaway today. We will never make God our Father by relying on our flesh. It won't happen. We won't do it. Here I think we need to just address the fact that being a Christian is a spiritual reality. Say that again. It's a spiritual thing. 
to be a Christian. It's not just a religious thing or a social thing or a political thing or a cultural thing. It's not just a this worldly thing at all. To be a Christian is above all else to know God and to be known by God. It's to be filled in our inner life with the eternal spirit of his resurrected son. It's to be adopted into this heavenly spiritual family in Christ that transcends life on earth. That sets Christianity apart from every other philosophy or religion on the planet. It really does. Every other religion depends on the stuff we do with our bodies, whether it's prayers or a pilgrimage or a certain ritual or even a certain amount of obedience or a certain kind of obedience. This is different. This faith and this spiritual family depend entirely on God alone. Only he can do it. Only he can keep the promise. Only he can create the family. And here's what this means for us. Means that what we need more than anything else is not just a healthy view, a healthier view of ourselves, or a better work-life balance, or a change in our attitude or behaviors, or the right church affiliation or or um, experience. No, what we need more than anything else is God Himself living through us by faith in His Son. If that's true, then we will have a healthier view of ourselves because God is living in us. Uh, We will be able to better balance our priorities because God is working through us. We will have a whole new attitude and different behaviors because God is empowering us and we will live together as the body of Christ on earth because if God himself is living through us, then the fruit of his spirit will come out of us. We'll see that in chapter five. So my hope today is not that you hear this sermon and then have a better sense of how to live, believe it or not. (laughs) My hope is that the God of this world would open the eyes of your heart as we've read and seen. My hope is that you hear this and then become a new creation by the power of God's spirit. Or, if that has already happened, that the spirit of God in you would empower you to live this out in this way as you hear his word and you respond to it in faith. That's the only way this works, I'm convinced. I can't make it happen. Frankly, you can't make it happen. This is spiritual. More than anything else, God is what we've gained when we were adopted into Christ. We gained God as our Father, and that is why we can never go back to relying on our flesh. Here's the point. I'm convinced the claim of this text for us today is that we will never gain more than God the Father. When we've been adopted in Christ and our spirit now cries out with his, Abba, Father, that's it. There's nothing more for us to gain. We have it all. As incredible as it will be for our family to welcome Suara into our family and to give her a home with her own bed and toys, as helpful as that will be as well for her, I'm sure, our greatest hope is that she will gain what we have gained by being adopted in Christ. That someday she will gain God as her father. Uh, When she comes, we may not even be able to relate to her in many ways. Uh, We were never orphaned. We've never lived in a developing country. But in this way, we can. All of us 
have been adopted into a family we were not born into, all of us. When it comes to our relationship to God, we were all in the same position that Suarez in today even, waiting for a day set, I wish it was set by her father, it's not, but in fact, our spiritual condition was far worse than hers, her earthly one today. We were not just orphaned, we were enslaved. We did not just have very little, uh, we deserved to inherit nothing. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So whatever we may face in this life, let's remember this. In Christ, we have gained God as our father, and we have nothing more to gain. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning, a chance to be together and a chance to celebrate our adoption. Help us now to sing in celebration that we are your children, chosen, not forsaken, and we are who you say we are, which is a son. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen.